Workers poisoned by an ammonia leak in Burlington, the RCMP to probe the police unit that has been defending pipeline and logging projects, two charged with corruption over construction contracts at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, workers in France cut power to Amazon to protest pension reforms, and Peru's Pedro Castillo's jail sentence is doubled. Good morning. It's Friday, March 10th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First to Burlington, Ontario, where 20 workers at Furman's Pork Incorporated, a slaughterhouse, were hospitalized after an ammonia leak. Ammonia is used as a refrigerant, and it leaked sometime after 11 o'clock yesterday morning. The Ministry of Labour was on site not long after with an inspector, a hygienist, and an engineer. The facility had previously been inspected December 2022. CBC's Bobby Herstova reported that at this same facility in 2020, Reagan Russell died protesting Ontario legislation that makes it illegal for people to stop trucks that are carrying livestock. This was a facility where those kinds of protests happen regularly. Furman's Pork is owned by Sophia Foods, a private company that owns food processing plants across Canada, France, Germany, and the UK and Ireland. They're headquartered in Markham. Now to British Columbia, where the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission is probing something called the Community Industry Response Group. They are, quote, a special unit that polices protests against resource extraction in British Columbia, according to the CBC's Brett Forrester. The probe will focus on three response group intervention locations at Ferry Creek, at Wet'suwet'en, and anti-logging demonstrations near Argenta, B.C., The response group was founded in 2017, quote, to prepare for Indigenous and environmental activism targeting the Trans Mountain expansion and coastal gasoline pipelines. The commission stick handles complaints made against the RCMP. They will review whether or not the response group's operations are, quote, consistent with the charter legislation on the Union Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and the findings of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, unquote. I'll pause there. Is any policing consistent with these bodies' findings or final reports? I'm not sure. The response group has received many complaints and lawsuits that allege charter violations, excessive use of force, and racism. Forrester writes, quote, The unit has deployed SWAT teams, crowd control squads, dogs, and helicopters to Wet'suwet'en territory to dismantle blockades interfering with the $14.5 billion coastal gaslink project. It's a good reminder that this unit specifically only exists to police Indigenous people fighting for their territory. It'll be interesting to see what the findings of the report will be. However, I don't think anyone should hold their breath for anything too revolutionary coming out of the oversight board from the RCMP. The RCMP, quote unquote, welcomes the investigation, it told CBC in an email. Now to Toronto, where Vass Georgiou, the former chief administrative officer at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, and John Aquino, the former president of Bonfield Construction Company Limited, were criminally charged in a fraud probe related to construction at St. Michael's Hospital. They are both charged with two counts of fraud over $5,000 each and one count of paying or accepting secret commissions. Lawyers for both men deny the charges. 
Bond Field was chosen to do massive renovations to St. Mike's Hospital. Georgiou didn't disclose that he was involved personally in two businesses that Aquino owned while he was evaluating Braunfield's bid for the massive project in 2015. The two men colluded through BlackBerry texts, facts that were found out by Bonfield's international insurer, Zurich Insurance Company Limited. Greg MacArthur and Karen Howlett at the Globe and Mail write, quote, The ripple effects of the scandal have been felt widely across Ontario. In 2019, Bonfield sought bankruptcy protection, resulting in the largest financial loss from the collapse of a construction company in the history of Canada. Bonfield's public sector projects across Ontario, including hospitals, universities and libraries, came to a standstill. Scores of unpaid subcontractors submitted claims to Zurich, which had provided more than $1 billion in guarantees, or what are known as construction surety bonds, on Bonfield's construction projects, including St. Michael's, unquote. The insurer found that about 5,000 emails were destroyed that referenced Georgiou on Bonfield's servers, and Georgiou was given secret information about Bonfield's bid during the procurement process. Bonfield's staff landscaped Georgiou's yard, demolished his driveway, worked on his gazebo, and did some woodworking inside his Toronto house. Work at St. Mike's is not yet finished still. Georgiou resigned this week as CEO of the construction management firm Saddlebrook Management Consultants Incorporated. Now to France, where pension reforms have triggered mass strikes and protests against the French government. Yesterday, workers cut power to an Amazon plant at Morla-Berlin. The action shut down access to the portal of the company. Amazon was not super happy about this. They said, quote, while we respect the rights of everyone to go on strike or protest, this action wasn't related to Amazon and it's not acceptable to threaten the security of our workers or partners. Unquote. I hope people in the United States are paying attention to Amazon saying they respect the rights of everyone to go on strike. That is only something you'll read in French if Amazon's talking, I bet you. While Amazon wasn't targeted because they had something to do or say about pension reform, the action was part of the plan to disrupt the economy in general. Workers also targeted the power supply of the country and managed to reduce the power supply by 13% through actions that targeted nuclear, thermal, and hydropower sites. These tactics are all in an attempt to stop the government from raising the age that people can access their state pensions from 62 years old to 64 years old. A majority of the French oppose this change. And finally, to Peru, where ex-president Pedro Castillo's pretrial detention has been increased from 18 months to 36 months. He was ousted in December and is accused of being close to organized crime, influence peddling, and being an accomplice to collusion, reports Reuters. Castillo, who is left-wing, denies the allegations. The accusations stem from the construction of a bridge and purchasing fuel for Petro Peru, the state-owned oil company. Castillo's supporters have been protesting for months. Dozens are dead thanks to heavy police presence and criminalization under the current president, Dina Bularte. In addition to demanding he be released from jail, Castillo's supporters are calling for Bularte to resign, new elections, and a new constitution. Castillo's supporters are mostly poor and marginalized Peruvians who are fed up with the country's failing democratic structures. In a historical opinion piece in the Washington Post, Jose Carlos Aguero wrote a piece called Peru's Protests Are a Fight for Democracy. It's a really excellent look at everything that had led to this moment that Peruvians are now in. I'm going to quote now from the end of his article. 
The country is currently at an impasse, but regardless of its final outcome, the crisis is likely to end up becoming a pivotal moment in the reimagining of Peruvian citizenship and Peruvian democracy. In Peru, there are people aged 70 or 80 who have lived their entire lives under the quasi-feudal servitude of large estates or gaminolas. Not being able to read, they were denied the right to vote until 1980. They have faced violence and repression when fighting for their lands. They have survived hyperinflation, a cholera epidemic, terrorism, dictatorship, racism, hunger, at least two transitions to democracy, a poorly handled pandemic that killed about 220,000 people. Peru had the highest COVID mortality rate in the world. And on top of that, a nearly permanent political crisis with six presidents cycling through in the past six years. These people are from the regions with the highest poverty levels, but more importantly, they are from the regions where Fujimoristas attempted to annul votes after the Castillo election. The protesters who are marching in the streets represent a return of politics as a positive force in public life, a movement to reform a society that has far too long excluded them as second-class citizens. As a woman said during a protest, quote, we might be cholos, mestizos, descendants of indigenous population. We might be ignorant. They say we don't have the capacity, but my vote counts the same. They, more than anyone, are fighting to retain the last shred of democracy they still have left. Those are your headlines for Friday, March 10th. I'm Nora. I hope you have a great Friday. I hope you have a great weekend and watch out either today or tomorrow and I'll send out a digest of all of the stories that I've covered on the daily news. Don't forget, share this podcast with your friends and family and coworkers. Let them know that there's an easy place for them to get a short amount of news. And I hope you have a good weekend.